fighting, hatred, fear. Had enough of the noise? Health Radio, and thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Henry Ely, and it's such a pleasure and an honor to be here with you today. Folks, I got to tell you, um, every show we start with gratitude, right? Today, I am grateful for Dr. Simone Gold. Uh, Today, I'm grateful for Dr. Mike Yeadon. Today, I'm grateful for, you know, Vera Shiraz. Uh, Today, I'm grateful for Dr. Z. Today, I am grateful for so many incredible freedom fighters out there. And today, I am grateful for our special guest. Today, we have Brooke Jackson, all right, the whistleblower from the Pfizer clinical trials that is just putting a huge monkey wrench in their quest for global you know, domination. I, I love what she's doing. She's got some great stuff. She's joined by her attorney, a uh, good friend, Warner Mendenhall, who's just incredible. You're going to love what he has to say today on, uh, you know, things like informed consent and what's going on with this case, but it's a fantastic interview. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Before we get started though, I'm going to ask you a favor. I'm going to ask you a favor that Mike Eden put out to the world on behalf of Dr. Gold. As you, mo- as you may know, she took a plea deal and took to a lesser charge, but she has to do time, which is ridiculous for being on public property with a, bull- a bullhorn. That's her crime, right? It's ridiculous. This is what Dr. Yeaton says. Dr. Simone Gold is in jail. They've locked her up for two months. She's halfway through it. She shouldn't be in jail. She's done nothing to warrant the fine, let alone deprivation of liberty in a place she finds very frightening and loaning and lonely. On advice, she accepts a plea bargain because if she didn't, it was let known they'd nail her anyways and jail her for years. She told me that she's often fears for her life. They move her from cell to cell at random intervals, sometimes at night. Initially, she was in total isolation from nary a soul for nearly two weeks. And he said, that would break me. So what he's asking is if you would write her a paragraph, just a line of support, anything to help pick up her spirits, it would mean a lot. And that snail mail, the old U.S. Postal Service, is the most precious thing she can receive. So will you join me, folks, in sending Dr. Simone Gold a letter? Give her something beautiful to read. Let her know we love her and we can't wait till she gets out. The registration number that you'll need to put on the letter is 2613-2509. That's 2613-2509. Send it to FDC Miami Federal Detention Center, P.O. Box 019120. That's P.O. Box 019120, Miami, Florida, 33101. That's Miami, Florida, 33101. We'll make sure we put this in the show notes for everybody. 
because I want to make sure I'm doing everything I can to help Dr. Gold get some love while she's been separated, while she's been locked down from us for doing no crime, for committing no crime. This is ridiculous what's going on with her and what's happened. And let's do everything we can to support her. A letter means everything to someone who's been incarcerated, but particularly someone who's been incarcerated without justification. All right. So let's show her some love and give her some support and make sure that we, she knows we love her very much. And we can't wait for her to get out and get back on that microphone and speaking her truth all over again. Folks, today we have a great show for you. Um, we get to the insights. I'm going to tell you, uh, I, I knew we won the day that Brooke uh, came out in the British Medical uh, Journal with uh, Peter Doshi. I knew we had won because we finally got some insights, some confirmation of what was going on in the actual clinical trials. And what did we find? What you're going to hear from Brooke Jackson on is the same thing we've been talking about for two years. Criminal data fraud and willful misconduct. Criminal data fraud and willful misconduct. We also have gotten our grand jury petition moving forward. We want to make sure you're aware of that. So if you could indulge me and show us a little bit of support, we are looking for signatures so that on September 12th, when we reply to the courts and we attack, and I mean this, we go on the offensive in courts, we want to show that there are millions of Americans who support this grand jury investigation that we put together. We want the court to know that the people are seeking and demanding justice, that we, the people, are the owners of the grand jury system, not the courts, not the district attorneys, not the U.S. attorneys, not Congress, and not even the president. As the United States pre-Supreme Court affirmed in 1992, the grand jury system belongs to the people. And we, as owners, are going to access it, access it for the good of all humanity. Folks, all you have to do is go to beyondthecon.com. That's beyondthecon.com. And you will have an opportunity to sign on that petition. It takes you really less than 10 seconds to get it done. And we will add you to the more than 150,000 people who've already signed on and growing every day. Our job is to make sure that we show the courts that we have standing, that we mean business, and that we will not back down. If you can't get to beyondthecon.com, we have an alternative way. You can text CDC, give it a little space in between, data. So CDC data. Text that to 52886. That's 52886. CDC data to uh, 52886. All right, folks, we're going to be right back with more Energetic Health Radio and Brooke Jackson and Warner Mendenhall right after these messages. Energetic Health Radio is sponsored by the Energetic Health Institute, an amazing school for amazing people just like you. Check us out at www.energetichealthinstitute.org and Take the pledge to be healthy because health is freedom. Freedom is health, and you can't have one without the other. Once again, that's www.energetichealthinstitute.org, and we'll see you right after these messages.
You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. All right, welcome back, everybody. Like I said, we are here with a, a real hero, and I, I should say heroine, right? I got to use the right words. Uh, Brooke Jackson, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure and it's our treat to have you. I've been wanting to talk with you. I got to tell you, I got to tell this story to the audience because it's relevant here. You know, when you're whistleblowing article came out in the British Medical Journal. I jumped out of my seat and went to my girl, went to my son running around the house that we just won, that it's just a matter of time. We've just won. We finally got the whistleblower that we've been looking for. And she just substantiated everything that we thought was going on. And then I got to meet you and I learned, wow, there was even more that wasn't in that article and that you had even more information. So we're really excited to bring you on, give us a, a really good oversight of kind of how things are supposed to go and how they actually went um, and just set up the stage for everyone to understand why this is such a big deal. So I'm going to fire some Quick question so we can get everybody oriented about um, clinical trial sites, the locations where the actual clinical trials are performed. Because when I read, Brooke, when I read in that BMJ art, um, you know, article that there were, a, what, 153? Was it, is it 153 clinical trial sites globally? Is that right? Globally, there were 153, yes. Yeah. So in the United States, there were 131 sites. I was the regional director of three of those clinical trial sites in Texas. You see, that blows my mind because I think all of us have this mysterious image in our head of a clinical trial, mm -hmm. clinical trials happening in one location and patients going in and getting things done at that one location. And it's done kind of under Pfizer's or Moderna in these cases, their purview and all that. But really, it seems like everything is really outsourced kind of globally to all these external trial sites, these satellite sites. And then the data is kind of collected from there and brought into a single place. Is that kind of how it works? That's absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. So it's like the, the fantasy does not match up with the actuality as we're seeing in so many cases, right? Absolutely. Yes. And what I was finding, you know, just in my, my research of the sites that were, that were participating in Pfizer's clinical trial for the COVID-19 vaccine, 
a lot of these physicians that were the principal investigator or the study doctor that was actually over the conduct of the trial at that particular location had zero clinical trial experience. And this was almost every single one that I've looked at from 2019, or excuse me, 2015 to 2019 had zero. Um, we, you're able to look on, um, you know, a, a website, a cmspayment.gov website and see their income from clinical trials. And the, a lot of them that I were looking at were zero, zero, zero. And until 2020, you know, they start making millions of dollars from participating in Pfizer's clinical trial. Hold the phone. See, this yes. is the first time I've heard this. Mm-hmm. Now we have a situation where there are 153 clinical trial sites globally. 130 of one of those are in the United States. You were you were running three of them, right? Yes. And when you go and look at the majority of people directing these clinical trials, the vast majority did not have any clinical trial site experience in their career? No clinical trial experience. And the way that it's listed on cms.gov is that um, if there are zero or the income that's reported under the research earnings are reported if the physician that you're looking at has been a principal investigator of a trial. So some of these physicians may have been sub investigators, but none, um, you know, as as a principal investigator. Yes, yeah, so I'll have to send, I'll have to send you some some screenshots. I, I I took them and started tweeting them not too long ago, and then I got pulled in a different direction when when I started working with uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf's group and helping them mine through that data. But yeah, yeah, I was I was shocked actually to to learn, you know, a lot of these physicians had no clinical trial experience at all. A lot of the sites too, interestingly enough, were, yeah. were obstetrician gynecologists practice. Really? Yes. Obstetricians. And so OBGYNs are mm-hmm. running the clinical trials. They have no pre- previous experience as at least leads or directors of a clinical trial. And all of a sudden they're making millions of dollars. Let me ask you a question. For a person to get their first assignment as the lead or the director of a clinical trial, a clinical trial site, is it mm. common for that to be a million dollar gig? Mm, it just depends on the trial and, and, and the study. This, this particular trial design was not complicated. I've, I've been involved in, um, you know, transplant research and those types of studies even bunionectomy studies, those actually, um, you know, from a, from a budget perspective are, are, you know, pretty high paying trials, but I was never allowed to me as a high paying trial, cutting off a little bunion off. That's a high paying (laughs) trial. Believe it or not. Yes. Wow. Okay. But for this particular um, design Pfizer's trial, it was not complicated. There were, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, standard study visits where the patient had to come in, for example, on their day one, which was the, the vaccination one. And then the second visit was vaccination two. There would have been um, additional visits if there, if there were symptomatic of, of COVID, for example. But this, again, was not a complicated study. I was never able, however, to see uh, one of the um, budgets or a draft or a contract that was hidden from the, the directors at Ventavia 
the mother of the owner actually took care of all the finances. So I never saw it, but based on my experience negotiating clinical trial agreements and the budgets, mm-hmm. I, I estimate that per patient, Ventavia was making around seven to $10,000. And how many patients total did they have? So that's a good question. So when I came in, in September of 2020, they had screened approximately 1500 subjects. And as you know, you know, just because you sign up to be in a study, that doesn't mean that you necessarily qualify, <clears throat> excuse me, to continue and be enrolled in the trial. So screening and enrollment slash randomization are, are different. So again, when I was there, random or screening rather was 1500 patients. I know just based on the data that's, that's been released that in total, um, Ventavia was allowed to uh, enroll or randomize about a thousand patients, or that's what was included in their overall safety and efficacy analysis, approximately 1,000. Wow. So 1,000 at an average of 7,000. If I'm doing my math to correctly, that's about just $7 million or something like that. I think I'm, I'm right with that. They've made millions and millions of dollars from right. their participation in the study. And this wasn't the only mRNA uh, vaccine trial that they participated in. They participated in Moderna's. They've participated um, in other COVID vaccine candidates, such as Johnson and Johnson and Novavax. Wow. So vaccines are Ventavia's bread and butter. Cytomegalovirus vaccine trials are going on. RSV trials are huge at Ventavia. They're enrolling elderly patients in pneumonia studies. They're seeing babies. So I've, I've begged the FDA, the DOJ, HHS, OIG, our government to please walk into Ventavia and look what's going on. It will, it, it shocks me that they're still operating. We're going to get into that in a second. Cause that's, that's where we're talking about, you know, there's so little oversight here yes. and, and. I have a really hard time imagining that what's going on in Ventavia is not going on in other trial sites with other companies as well. I, I just you. have an impossible yeah. time believing that. So I, I want to point something out and we're, we're joined also uh, with uh, uh, Warner Mendenhall. Warner, it's good to see you, my man. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Well, we're going to, we're going to bring you on. We have a bunch of legal questions for you. And, and I just am so impressed with the work you've been doing and it's, it's just so great to see and bring you on. But uh, Brooke, I wanted to confirm a couple of things here for the audience. Cause I've been saying for years that these are still in clinical trial. The clinical trials are not concluded. It's ongoing. I mean, this, you know, let's remember though, we are in a very, very different environment so I, and I think everybody's got to wrap their head around what's happening. Pfizer's a defense contractor. Okay. They're a large, now they're a large defense contractor. Uh, the, the contract that they are under has to do with biowarfare, uh, attack on the United States. You know, that's where you get this other transactional authority. That's where you get, you know, this ability to, move mountains in an emergency and, uh, you know, avoid all of the careful steps that we thought our FDA would have been taken, should have been taken to monitor and, and, uh, and uh, track this drug. 
you know, other weird things are that the vials themselves are owned by the United States until the shots are in arms. So, you know, you can't, you know, if you deviate from that path and try to, you know, test one of the vials, you're committing a federal offense because it's Wait, say that by... again, Warner, say that that this is the first you all are dropping bombs here. This is the first oh. time I'm hearing some of this. So if if somebody got a vial and wanted to test it independently, say a university like or just at their own private lab to confirm that the what they say is in it, even though they haven't really told us what's in it is actually what's in it. What happens to that American? Well, they could only do it under authority of the Department of Defense. Wow. It is not you cannot just buy a vial of it and go test it and see what's in it. So if you do that, you have uh, stolen federal property, essentially, and you're going to have some troubles. Wow. Yeah. Now, so I have a some federal argument. offense to have possession of a vial, even an empty vial, I would suspect. I, I, I don't I don't know that. I mean, I'm sure they don't want this going. I mean, I don't know it down to that granular detail. I know it is owned until it's injected. It's owned by the federal government until it's injected in an arm. Wow. So if I don't have approval from the Department of Defense to have right. possession of that, I am in possession of stolen property. Basically. Yep. You've diverted property of the United States illegally. Wow. Now, don't do that, Dr. E. Yeah, no, I, no I, I'm, I'm going to shy. I mean, I'm, I'm I have, big enough fight with them with this grand jury stuff. But yeah, that's crazy. I have a, I have some legal arguments around it if whistleblowers wanted to contact me and were trying oh. to do something like that. But I, you know, I mean, the, the argument would be that a whistleblower, for example, uh, a Brooke Jackson, for example, who had a vial, you know, what we would say is that that whistleblower was uh, taking possession of that vial essentially to analyze it for fraud on behalf of the United States itself. And that might bring some privileges into play, but you know, it's very hard to do that outside of any other context. And even that context may get us into some hot water. But, you know, you know, I think that's the way I would argue that. And that's the way I would uh, recommend any lawyer argue it. So if any lawyer or whistleblower is thinking about doing it and they want to discuss it with me, I'd be happy to talk about my theories about how you could actually do it without violating federal law. But let me tell you, it's a minefield and I would be very careful. I, I have had some doctors uh, talk to me about this. You know, they do want to do analysis. They're very concerned about it. And I, you know, this is the warning that I give to them. Amen. Well, folks, um, if you are a whistleblower out there, or you have something that you want to get to Warner, you can, of course, contact me through the show. You can contact me through America Out Loud. Malcolm and I will make sure that Warner gets that information and gets you connected in uh, with them. And he can advise you on the best strategy moving forward. We need brave people like Brooke Jackson stepping forward and saying enough is enough. We have to be a society that believes in a common rule of law, and that principle has to be in the best interest of all people. It's really simple, folks. There's right and wrong. This is wrong. It's not black and white to me, too. There's right and there's wrong. It's it's not complex, right? This is a bioweapon that you can't even get an independent analysis on. It's the clinical trials are ongoing. 
you know, before we go to break, Brooke, I, I, I'm going to we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the legal side of it. We're going to talk a little bit more about the clinical research site, um, what happens there and everything, you know, give people some insights into it. But before we go to break, because I'm, I'm blown away right now, I'm, my, my jaw just I have to keep picking it up off the floor. I, I want to just let you reset the board for people because, you know, a lot of folks know a little bit about you and know a little bit about Ventafia. But can you summarize for folks what happened at Intavia and what happened specifically with you? And I would love to hear about how they how they fired you, because this is what really set off that there was some wrong things going on. But go ahead, Brooke, tell a little bit about that story for us. Sure. So in September of 2020, I took a position as the regional director for a, again, sites that were enrolling into Pfizer's phase three clinical trial. I came in in the middle of their enrollment. They at that point had had screened and and were seeing, you know, 50, 60 patients a day. When I walked in right away, I I noticed just misconduct in the way that the trial was being run. We were not following our own standard operating procedures. We were not following the good clinical practice, good documentation practices. We were employing and putting staff in positions that were well beyond their scope. For example, our unblinded vaccinator, the one that was responsible for preparing the vaccine and injecting the vaccine, had no medical experience at all, only retail and restaurant. Yes. A person injecting a shot in a clinical trial had no medical experience? That's right. Yes. When I was reviewing and just getting to know my staff the first few days, I was looking at her, her CV and I, I was introduced to her actually as the receptionist and found out just in, through conversation that she had a dual role. And again, that was being the unblinded vaccinator. So I'm looking over her resume, the, the position that she held right before coming into Ventavia, which wasn't very long. She'd only been, she'd been there less than 60 days, was at a taco, a taco restaurant, a taqueria. What? Wait, <laughs> wait, wait a second. This is in the world of you can't make this stuff up, folks. We just got a response to our grand jury petition, Brooke, that yeah. argued why they were late in filing their response. Oh, okay. Was mm-hmm. because of uh, their dog was sick. That's in a, it's in a court document. They said there, you can't make this up. We were late filing this to the court because our dog was sick. You're telling me that there was a woman who was working at a taqueria and she was serving up taquitos and tacos. And 60 days later, she's injecting people with an experimental product and has no medical background, no medical training. She's just going to, are you kidding me? No, no, Wow. not at all. No. Oh my God. I know so I it's you like, if you don't laugh, school, if you don't laugh, anybody don't can be cry. a doctor now, right? Sorry. Uh, I said, anybody can be a doctor now. Anybody anyone. can be a nurse. Anyone. It doesn't, you don't if you're working on a Pfizer trial. Only. Right. Okay. Keep on, keep on going. Keep doing no, And it's not like funny. Time. You know, I know we laugh, but if we don't, I got to laugh cry. to keep from crying. That's what, exactly. that's what it is. I just have, you got to let it out some way. It's going to come out in tears later tonight, but it's, it's got to be some laughter. Well, trust too. me, I'm from Texas and we love a good taco. Okay. <laughs> so oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> she can make a mean <laughs> one. Okay. Dual roll. All right. So what, now what else is going on at Ventavia? You just get started there. What else is going on? The vaccine was not being stored at the appropriate temperature. 
at what, two what's of the problem the, with that? What's the potential problem with that? Well, the product isn't is no longer stable when it's outside of the the, the range of uh, the protocol. Mm-hmm. So at two of my at two of my locations for months, it was outside of that temperature range. So we don't know if if that you know affects the stability in terms of you know efficacy. Does it make it like a saline shot, or does it cause more harms? I, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason it's in Pfizer's protocol and for, for, for Pfizer's own protocol, we should have immediately stopped enrolling in the trial and alerted Pfizer to the, the, the temperature excursions. What Ventavia chose to do anyway was not alert Pfizer to that and cover it up in what we call a note to file, which is which just goes into a regulatory binder mm-hmm. in the event that we're audited by the FDA. Which won't <clears throat> happen. It didn't happen. Well, how do you know it didn't happen, Brooke? Well, that's, you know, I I know because that's um, in part of the documents that have been released through the FOIA lawsuit. (laughs) Uh, It lists the number of sites that were audited prior to the uh, emergency use authorization that was given in December of 2020. Mm -hmm. And of the 131 clinical trial sites in the United States, they only inspected six of those sites and none of them were Ventavia. And none of them were under your purview when you were running the show there. So I, no. I, we're, we're about to go to break. I want to, I want to get to two quick points here because this is what blew me away in the original British medical journal article that came out um, when Brooke first revealed everything. What blew me away, Brooke, was you contacted the FDA. Am I right with that? You contacted them and told them, Hey, somebody needs to come out here and look at this something. There's some things going on that are wrong. Did I, am I remembering that correctly? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, this was a conversation I was having with my company and the other members and directors of, of my team on a daily basis. When, you know, that, I guess 17th day rolled around and I knew that they were more interested in covering up what they were doing rather than determining what the root cause of these, these problems were and addressing them with Pfizer and, you know, doing what we should have been doing to, to remedy the situation, whatever that looked like. Um, I contacted Pfizer, although I did that anonymously. And when, you know, I wasn't getting any traction there either, I took it to the FDA the morning of the 25th of September of 2020. And about six and a half hours later, I got fired. Wait, 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 let's, let's recap that. This is a great place for us to go to break. Let's, um, we're going to rewind. We're going to rewind that one real quick. So you are having these conversations with your team and with the people at Ventavia. Mm-hmm. You're letting them know we got to clean this up. This isn't right. We get inspected. There's going to be big problems. So you're actually doing your job and yeah. you're doing it with integrity. That doesn't work. You contact Pfizer. Pfizer doesn't respond. And then you contact the FDA. And then what happens after all this comes out six hours later, what happens? My company called me and terminated my position effective immediately under the content, the pretext, sorry, that I was not a good fit. You're just not a good fit. No. You, you have integrity, Brooke. You're not a good fit here. Warner, final thoughts before we go to break on what Brooke just revealed. Well, let's let's come back after break and go into this a little more detailed. I mean, I, I'm just, uh, it's just stunning what this company did. It's just stunning how... Uh, 
loose and, and loosey goosey they were with the rules. Um, you know, I, I look at these trial sites and I think they were essentially, you know, you've heard of the term Potemkin village. And, uh, you know, in, in Russia at one point to kind of make towns look better, they put up fake storefronts and fake frontage on buildings so they could bring the Europeans on a tour through those villages. Uh, that's, I think, what's essentially here. They have put up these uh, trial sites that are not truly functioning trial sites, essentially. If you look at all of the violations in Brooks' complaint, they're not functioning trial sites. This is not how you do it. And so it looks like a trial site. It has somebody in a nurse's uniform who worked at Taco Bell, uh, but it's not really a trial site as any of us would have ever understood it under federal law. So Brooke has, uh, has exposed that, I think is more widespread than we think. I think it's probably not limited to Ventavia. Uh, and this is just a way to make it look like there's been a trial, uh, look like they followed uh, the regulations, uh, but it's just in order to get that application through the, through the FDA and get that EUA and get that money. So it seems to me like they're kind of identifying as a <laughs> there trial, you go they're right? identifying as clinical trial sites right. Exactly. Right. really what we are yeah. is a building where we have taco ladies injecting shots but we right. identify as a, a clinical trial, trial site, site. Wow. yeah my god all right folks we got to take a quick break uh, we go for it go, go, oh go. dr ely i identify as vaccinated too sometimes <laughs> well <laughs> we're going to cover that when we come back warner i knew you were going to get one in folks we got more Brooke Jackson, more Warner Mendenhall right after these messages. Stay tuned for more Energetic Health Radio. We're going to talk about this. We're going to get into this a little bit deeper, folks. How the spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America out loud. Now we invite you, friends, to invest some of your time with our magnificent family of experts, their minds and voices, it's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. You know, Warner was saying something to me off the air that I, I think is so important and I, I want you to hear it. So, you know, Warner, we were talking a little bit about attorneys and how they function when a society is really functioning well 
the important role that attorneys do play? Because we always think of attorneys as bad. I don't want any attorneys, right? But attorneys actually do play a big role. Can you speak a little bit more to our audience about that when things are working right and the role that attorneys play? Yeah, I, I don't think people really understand what attorneys do at a very fundamental level sometimes, but it actually has to do with mediating conflict and violence in societies. So if the courts are functioning well, people realize they can get a recovery, they can get some of their damages covered. And our, our founders understood that. The Seventh Amendment uh, in our Bill of Rights is about the fundamental right of trial by jury. Anything over 20 bucks gets a jury trial according to our federal constitution. And those juries have the power to impose essentially at the time, they had the power to impose the death penalty on corporations that had gone sideways and were doing bad things. And we have seen over time, especially recently, that the power of the jury is really becoming limited in a lot of ways. For example, you've seen jury verdicts for, you know, remitted. You know, now that jury remitted means reduced. So if a jury sees an injury and they award $100 million, they meant to award that $100 million and no judge should be reducing it. But that's what's happening right now. The other thing is just getting to a jury, stepping uh, you know, back a little bit, just getting to a jury. We have so many procedural hurdles, some of which we're facing right now with Brooks case. You know, if we don't get those past those procedural hurdles, no jury is ever going to find out or get to hear what Pfizer Bentavia and Icon did and judge them, and they need to be judged. And if we cannot hold people to account through the law, people end up taking justice in their own hands, and that results in a society riven by conflict and riven by revenge and that type of stuff. So that's what we do. We mediate conflict and violence as attorneys. Our justice system does that. And if it fails us, it really is damaging to society. So we need to, we need to be aware of that role. Amen. We, we have to agree that we are a society of laws and not just laws that they're throwing on the books now to push an agenda, but laws that are there in the spirit of impartiality and injustice and in doing what's right. You know, we have to maintain that two plus two has to equal four all the time. And that's the potential here. Warner, thank you for saying that. I had never even really considered that, but you're right on the money. You know, when people don't feel they can get justice in a court of law, they are more prone to saying, well, if I can't get justice there and my child has been harmed, my child has been killed, I'm going to get justice in another way. And that's where you get blood in the streets. You know, and, and, and I'm got to avoid Henry. I'm, I'm very worried about that. I mean, there are some very angry people at this point with the thousands of injuries that, that we've heard about. I, I share that. I'm in a few groups with a lot of different people and a lot from a, a lot of different walks of life. And the overwhelming sense that I get is people want, people want justice but people don't feel like they're going to get justice in our courts right now. The right. trust is in our society and in our institution has eroded to a level that is potentially disastrous for our great nation. And uh, it's, it, there's no reason for us to be on the brink right now. All we have to do is have judges step forward and say, you know what, there's the law and there's the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law says that I'm here to ensure that right is done. 
and not to obstruct the judicial, the justice process. And that's what we've seen the last two years, just rampant obstruction of justice. And it's, it's just, it's nauseating, you know, to see how many good lawsuits have been thrown out on something as preposterous as lack of standing you know, mm-hmm. and, and things of that nature. It's the thing they keep using over and over again. It's the thing they're trying with us, but we got something for them on that one. I can't wait to deliver it to. Um, I was so actually, Dr. Ely, I was just doing a, another that. interview yesterday or the day before. And one of the questions was, will the court have the courage to stand up to big pharma? What are your thoughts? And my, you, thoughts, my thoughts were, I said, well, I did. It's not hard. Yeah, right. And you feel good once you do it. There's 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 a positive effect for you as a person doing it too. And I think that's what we've written. In, you know, Warner, you would laugh at our petition that we filed because I actually talked straight to the judge and in it, and I and I wrote from the heart and I said, I know this isn't normal, you know, but we're not in normal times, and I there are certain things that I need to say to you that have nothing to do with the law and everything to do with us remembering that we are human beings on this beautiful earth and that life itself matters, you know, and that you have the chance to restore something that's essential for a working nation. And that's trust. You have the opportunity to do that. And I think, I think there are some judges. We, we've seen a couple of interesting cases recently move forward. And I, 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 I think yours is going to move forward too. But, you know, Brooke, you got a pretty awesome attorney right there. I know. So um, I think you got a good chance right there as well. <laughs> All right. So I'm so thankful for Warner, you know, and, and, and Barnes too. They're both great. <clears throat> yeah. Give, give uh, Mr. Barnes his full name and full credit for the audience as well. It's Robert Barnes. Robert Barnes. Yeah. You know, folks, we got some good folks out there that are stepping up. So if you're ever out there losing a little hope, losing a little faith, just remember that God wears a t-shirt and on the front of it, it says, I've got this. All right. We all met. None of us, this is what we were talking, Brooke and I were talking off air about this. None of us knew each other before any of this stuff started. We were all just different people walking around, roaming this earth, right? But all of these good people throughout the world, and especially in this country, have found each other. And we're all working together and everybody supporting each other. And I don't think any of us care who is, is the major breakthrough, right? Nobody cares. We care that it happens and we care that we win, right? Because winning means everything, not just for us, but especially for our children and future generations. That's what we're here fighting for, folks. So let's get into a little education here. I like educating people on the grand jury system and stuff like that and making it a little simpler, right? But I'm really curious, Brooke, about this clinical uh, trial site and and what goes on there and everything. And you got the knowledge. So my first question to you is, you know, when... The clinical research site is working right. What is that supposed to look like? Certainly not a well, taco lady. <laughs> certainly not a taco lady. You know, these there there are good clinical practices. That's the, those standards are there to protect the rights, the safety, and the welfare of every single research participant. You know, um, 
what that looks like is, oh gosh, that's like a good question. Like I, I'll tell you a few just key things that, that we kind of missed before of, of what it doesn't look like. You know, when we, um, when I reported to the FDA, there was a lack of testing of the patients that were symptomatic. That was one of the things I, I meant to mention, a lack of reporting of serious adverse events. I took a call from a patient who, um, was having problems and we hadn't recorded or responded back to this severe adverse event for 11 days, 11 days, because this patient could not get a hold of the site because the voicemail boxes were full and nobody was returning the, um, you know, the diary entry and, and response that we were supposed to be uh, giving from those entries. So the lack of staff and um, the, the unblinding of the patients, that was huge. Um, a huge finding of mine. Tell, tell the audience what unblinding of patience is. So this particular trial was 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 blinded in in a way where the only the only person at Ventavia that should have known whether the patient was receiving the actual vaccine or the placebo was this unblinded vaccinator that um, you know prevents a bias from being injected into into the study keeps the patients from knowing what treatment they're assigned to and it prevents the staff and the principal investigators from you know, know knowing it as well and potentially you know just changing the course of a patient's treatment based on that knowledge for example um Gosh, what, what, what else can I talk about? What, what should happen? The principal investigator should be there at the clinical trial site. This, this particular uh, PI was, was only there two times in the 18 days that, that I was employed with Ventavia. I met him twice. Um, you know, qualified staff, we kind of touched on that. Good documentation practices. We were employing people that just did not have any clue. And I'm not excusing this behavior uh, from, from the staff, but they just, they didn't know what they didn't know. They were just doing what they were told by more experienced, more senior level uh, directors like myself. Then Tavia was aware of these problems even well before I started there. I actually was going through emails when I first started and Back in August of 2020, they had two employees that were actually disciplined for fabricating and falsifying data. Hmm. That's before I even got there in September. So you're so talking the, about data fraud once again. Data it's, fraud, yes. It's, this whole thing has been about data fraud, criminal levels of data fraud. You know, we've seen yeah. it at every level. You know, they're lying with statistics. What did Mark Twain say? There's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics. You know, I mean, that's what they're that's what they're doing here, because if if you can fabricate a number, it can make like the 80, the 95 percent efficacy, make it make it look like it's actually 95 percent efficacy. But yeah. it doesn't really speak to the let me get the exact number here, folks. I, I want to make sure I'm really accurate. We, we looked at some of these studies as well. It doesn't explain the 3,861 enrolled participants who were not included in the final efficacy analysis. It doesn't explain the 6,292 enrolled participants who were not included in the final safety analysis. My question, Brooke, has always been, what happened to them? Is there anything that you could tell us about what happened? Why would somebody get pulled out of a final efficacy analysis? And and is that it, it couldn't have been to make the numbers worse. It had to be to make the numbers look better than they really were. Can you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And just through some of the, the data that 
you know, we've been able to go through that's been released. You know, the, these patients were removed for multiple reasons, a, a lack of blinding, a lack of principal investigator oversight, dosing errors. I mean, I think the last time I looked, I, I, I listed out 10 different reasons why, why patients were excluded from, from the analysis. So a patient got overdosed on, is that something that would cause them to be removed or is it under? Yes, either, either. And I know at Ventavia at one of my clinical trial sites, we were overdosing subjects and that was because there was no training. This particular research staff member was not trained on the protocol and was injecting the, the improper dose. Well, I guess being a doctor and having some medical experience is kind of important when you're involved with a medical clinical trial, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You need a little bit more experience than working at a, at a taco shop. All right, Warner, I got a quick question for you because I, I would be remiss on this topic if I wasn't discussing informed consent. Now, in, and, I'm, and, I, and forgive me, this might be just out of the blue for you, but I, I think you're, you can tackle it. What can you tell us about how informed consent should work compared to how it has worked, especially for the people in these clinical trials? Well, I mean, I, you know, we, we know, and I, I think people get criticized for bringing this back to the Nazi regime, but, you know, there was a reason we had the Nuremberg trials, mm-hmm. you know, and it was this idea that we can treat human beings as fodder for experimentation without them understanding or knowing what's being done to them. And, uh, you know, in that instance, obviously, uh, the people were, things were being done against people's will. Um, And, you know, but Hitler was essentially culling the population in various ways. You know, we know that people who had uh, various disabilities were called, various racial characteristics were called, but, you know, and in, in, in our modern day, it's, pro- it's more subtle, but the same thing applies. I mean, we have to tell people truthfully and honestly, you know, what are the risks that are involved and in what's going on here? What, you know, what are you, what's getting injected into your body? We don't know it. We don't know that today. Nobody knows that today. So I, it's actually in this, in this instance, um, and all of us are part of the experiment, that are taking the shot. So, you know, but none of those people who've taken the shot really know what's in those vials that's that's then being injected into their arm. So I think we have a massive failure of informed consent. I mean, I know, you know, specifically to, to the uh, trial site that Brooke was working at, you know, we have evidence of numerous uh, people who the informed consent was actually filled out after they had gotten an injection. Wow. So wow. There, there is, you know, and this is fundamental to the, to the ethics and the morality uh, that we thought was important for all societies to uh, adhere to. And it's an international moral sta- standard that was established by the Nuremberg Principles. And that is then uh, embedded in our Code of Federal Regulations in various ways. So, you know, this is a complete disregard of, of this uh, fundamental idea. And, uh, you know, and, and, I, and again, it means this is a Potemkin trial. It means this is a fake trial. If you're getting consent 
after an injection, that's not consent by definition. And, and I, I think people need to, you know, we've, we need to go back to basic principles. That's a basic principle that we learned, you know, and I think in this country, you know, we had the case, you know, Buck v. Bell, uh, for example, that actually is still, uh, you know, that case technically is still alive where we were sterilizing people based on their mental capacity. Um, you know, so we, I think we all, you know, if any of us sits around and just talks about this, that's not where we are, where we want to be. That's eugenics. And so this eugenics, uh, this, this, this idea that we can treat people, uh, without getting their informed consent comes out of eugenicists, uh, from a century ago. And it comes out of the Nazi regime in Nuremberg. So I, it's critical. It, it, it absolutely is. And let me let me say to the audience, you can't have informed consent without knowing the ingredients. You can't have informed consent with knowing the potential risks. You can't have informed consent with no without knowing that this could modify your DNA. And the Lund, the Lund University study confirmed that, that this is a gene modification shot. So no one has no one who's gotten the shots received informed consent. Everyone was lied to. And that's why I've been saying that the greatest liars who've ever lived are alive today. And we got to put them in jail. That's really what it comes down to. We got to put them away. You don't get a chance to lie and hurt people, hurt people for profit, murder people for profit, and then say, no big deal. Um, I, oopsie. It was just gross incompetence. No, there's no incompetence that's this bad. And if there is, that needs to be criminal as well, to be quite honest with you. Um, uh, Warner, I know you got to run a little bit early. So Thank you so much, sir. Any any final thoughts? Anything that we can do to support you and and your work with Brooke and and your other cases? You know, really, I just want people to think about it. We're in an existential crisis, I believe, in terms of how our country is functioning. I'm very concerned about the death rates going up, the injury rates going up through the roof, and I I just want everyone to think about what they can do, and do what you can then. Once you figure out what you can do, go do it, whatever it is. Amen. And one of the strongest ways that the things that people can do is just say no. Just That's say right. no to the lies and the garbage and the deceit and the corruption. Just say no. Warner, thank you so much for your time. Brooke, I got one more question. For thank you, you guys. We take off. Yeah, thanks. Always great to have you, buddy. All right. Uh, Brooke, uh, there was one thing that we didn't cover yet that I wanted to give you just a minute to talk on because you had mentioned that there was data fraud. Oh, yeah. you, you had told me that there was um, something going on at the clinical trial site that was different than what was being reported to the FDA. Can you, in about a minute, tell our audience a little bit about that? What was different? Well, every uh, so much at Ventavia, Dr. E, was, were we talking about something specifically? It seemed to me like we were talking, you were saying that what the data that was being collected at the site, at the clinical trial site, oh, was not matching yes. what was going on that was reported to the FDA. Yes, you're right. So, so I think we were talking about what, you know, on the FDA's own website, they will tell you that they rely on the clinical trial data that's collected at the site level to make a decision on whether a product is safe and effective. They rely on the data from the sponsors that's collected from the sites. The FDA never sees 
the data that's collected at the sites on what we call source documents. The, um, and and that's, that's, that's a real problem, you know, because between the time that the data is collected and the time that the FDA gets to review this information and make their determination, so many things can happen in between. You can have a company like Ventavia fabricating data, falsifying data, bringing family members in, friends in to, to, to make up data, to get rid of evidence of unblinding like they did at, at two of my locations, three of them actually. I was only, you know, I uh, only knew of what was happening at, at the two sites, but I know it was, it was also happening at that third. But, but, but I think that's a real problem and, and why, you know, so many researchers have been calling for this individualized patient data, this raw data that comes from the clinical trial sites is vital to a, a, a good FDA review. Amen. You can't make a good decision with bad information. It's just, it's just straight up, but I don't want to absolve the, the FDA because you warned them that some stuff's going on and they chose not to investigate Ventavia. That makes them complicit in my eyes. Absolutely. Still today. To this day. And that's, and and when they can get all of this trial, individual trial site data and then compare it against what Pfizer actually submitted and look for discrepancies, right? right. Nobody wants to do that. That's hard work. That takes integrity. Well, it's not hard. They went to six. Yeah, yeah, they went to six sites before the EUA. Why weren't why wasn't Ventavia one of those clinical trial sites they inspected? Amen. Amen. Well, folks, you've heard it here. Uh, Brooke, thank you so much for having the courage to step up and stand up and say, no, I'm not doing this. Um, I like I said early on, as soon as I saw that whistleblower come out in BMJ, and I, I was like, I want to meet her. I can't wait to meet her because that told me right there, we're gonna win and we're gonna put them away. Right there. Well, thank you it's for having a matter me. Of time. Oh yeah. Come on now. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, like, it, you know, it's just, it takes all of us coming together and working together. And like you said, it doesn't matter who, who makes that breakthrough. It's, it's, it's about humanity, saving our children and, and fighting for those that have been vaccine injured. And that's, that's why I do what I do. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Folks. You know what I've been saying for for a year now plus, we have four major challenges in front of us. To take no offense, to speak truth, to be selfless, and to remain humble through this whole process. And I'm going to tell you that we are winning and we are going to win because each of us has love in our hearts and we want to see what's right come to pass. So, I want to thank our guests today, Brooke Jackson and Warner Mendenhall. Wish them the utmost success and luck in the pursuits that they have right now, seeking justice. Let's make sure we support them, everybody. And uh, until next week, when we'll have Ernest Ramirez on with us, uh, I want to say to you, may God shine his divine light down upon all of us, everyone we love, and surround us in the protection of his warm embrace. I'm Dr. Henry Ely for Energetic Health Radio and the uh, Energetic Health Institute. We'll see you next time, folks. Have a great, great weekend wherever you may be.